folks. Welcome back to Goods Vibes Nation. No Dougie on this podcast, but that means I have an amazing guest with me tonight. Her name is Rachel King. She's a veteran we'll get into. She's not just a lawyer, but she's the owner of King Law Firm. And she's got an amazing journey that we're going to talk about. I want to welcome Rachel to the show. Rachel, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Oh, man. I should start off by letting everybody know that we've got a mutual friend who kind of set this up. Amy Scruggs, who was on episode 53 of our show, connected us. And I'm very happy that she had because I got a ton of questions for you. I'm excited. Let's do it. Awesome. So I love to start off our shows by, with our guests about telling them a little bit about their upbringing. Definitely feel it's very influential on who you are today and who you've become in life. So where are you from? Give us, uh, give us the background on Rachel. I grew up in Southern California, so everybody always, I, I start with Southern California because depending on where you're from, you don't always know about it, but I grew up in Thousand Oaks, which is slightly north of Los Angeles County, slightly south of Santa Barbara, okay. and I primarily was, I'd say all of my really important years were in Thousand Oaks. We moved there when I was 12. I grew up in a divorced household, so normally I don't talk about that, but because of where I've landed and how I practice law. I think that does play into it a bit. My dad yeah. lives in Nevada. My mom, again, and stepdad lives or live in Southern California. And I was primarily with them. And then I would do the very traditional holidays, summers, all of the school breaks with my dad. I have five sisters from all over the different families that I come from. I am the only child of my parents. And I really grew up I feel very fortunate for how I was raised. I was raised in families that were all very supportive and loving and accepting. And that kind of extended even to our extended family. So yeah. I'm going to give them actually a lot of credit for where I sit today. That is very cool, especially the, the co-parenting part, right? I'm from a, a divorced family myself. My parents were married 25 years before they split and uh, they've, both been remarried and been married longer than that now. So it's very cool when the families can can get together. Now I read, I did some research. I read you're you got you come from a family of lawyers, is that right? My cousin is a lawyer and my dad is a lawyer. And just because of the ages, they're both uh older than me quite a bit. So I feel like I was raised in a family of lawyers. Interestingly, since then we have had quite a few lawyers also uh or people in our family become lawyers. Yeah. It is definitely a significant part of how I was raised. And I feel like, maybe not as much, but you know, as kids, we always interpret things a little differently. I feel like as I was growing up, everybody was lawyers. Yeah. Obviously, that's not the case, but I really feel like I was always yeah. surrounded by law. Yeah, I to totally get that. My dad was a New Jersey State Trooper. My uncle was a cop. You know, besides that, they're best friends. I mean, it felt like the same way you're describing, like everywhere I turned, it was law enforcement. And I, I tried to go down that career, but hey, that's a different podcast and that's about me, but we want to stick to you. <laughs> but I mentioned you were a veteran too. When did you join the, the service and what branch did you join? I am an Army veteran. I joined actually right shortly after high school. So Very cool. When I was 18, I thought I wanted to go to college, so I enrolled and I did the whole thing that you're supposed to do. I found out, this was shortly after 9-11, I found out very quickly that I would prefer to be on the beaches yes. in Southern California <laughs> rather than in class. Yeah. 
And that didn't work very well, nor were my parents very happy about it. Mm. So I don't know, some time after being in school for in college for it didn't even I didn't I honestly didn't make it that long. Like six weeks, I was cut financially cut off. And they said, this isn't working. We're not paying for you anymore. So I had to pivot quite quickly because, yeah. again, I had no place to live. And I went to the military entrance processing station, MEPS, in San Diego. And I talked to all of the recruiters. I knew I wanted to go to college at some point. I was just not ready at that time. So the biggest part or thing that I was looking for was who was going to give or which branch was going to give me the best education mm -hmm. benefits. And at that time, it was the Army. So they told me, okay, we'll ship you out in six months. We'll get you to basic training in six months. And I kind of laughed at the recruiter and I said, oh, I don't have any place to go. So if you don't ship me out of here in two weeks, I'm going to have a plan B and yeah. I'm not going to be joining the army in six months. So they figured it out and shipped me out in two weeks. And I was able to take my contract to my mom and say, can I please stay on your couch? I know that I didn't do what you wanted me to do, but can I just crash here for two weeks? Yeah. And she let me. So that's how I ended up in the army. And I, I mean, every branch is great. Every branch is known for different things, but I am so happy that I chose the army. So did you go in those, right after those two weeks, did you go right to basic training? Was it like that oh, quick? Oh yeah. So okay. it's, it's quite interesting. You get a plane ticket. And they tell you what to bring, but you still bring too much. And you go to, well, where I'm from, you go to San Diego. And it's kind of like this free trip, right? You're like, man, I, they give you food vouchers and, and all this stuff. And I got, I went to basic training in, at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. I got off the airplane and there was military, you know, soldiers to meet me, but they're very cool. And, yeah. and it's like very chill. So you're like, oh, this is like a good deal. But they always fly you in at nighttime, right? You always arrive at nighttime. And then we got on this bus. And I think we pulled into Fort Jackson at around 10 or 11 p.m. But we were, to, I was, everybody was exhausted. And you walk off that bus and it is like, like hell. Oh. Like, like, oh, <laughs> crap. And I remember, I'm not I'm supposed to say Oh, that, you're sorry. good. Yeah, we're um, good. we cursed on that. I too. remember thinking, what did I just get myself into? Like, yeah. I thought this was going to be so fun because the trip was fun. And then the drill sergeants just start yelling at oh, you yeah. and oh man. breaking you down, right? Yes. And taking <laughs> all your stuff and you have to throw everything away and you can't do anything right. And all you want to do is go to sleep, but you can't go to sleep. And it was, it makes you grow up real quick. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. How did you enjoy, or what did you think about that entire experience of, of basic training? Oh goodness. While you're in it, it sucks. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's no fun. I had a, a again, I had a challenging time. I didn't grow up in a family of military. So I, they actually thought I was a bit crazy when I joined, but I had no experience with what military really was. I didn't, I didn't have law enforcement either. So like this kind of disciplined idea was a bit foreign to me. And I was not used. I mean, you're just thrown in with all yeah. of these people. You're living in a bay of 60 women and you shower naked. Now, none of it matters, right? Because I've been there and done that. But at the time it was awkward. And I remember we had a meeting probably in the first couple of days 
And one of the commanders said to me, all you, well, he said it to all of us, but he said, just make it from one meal to the next. That's all you have to do. And I don't know why that stuck with me, but it really did. And I was like, and so every day I would say, okay, I'm just going to wake up and make it to breakfast. And then like, I can quit after, I don't even know if you can quit, but I was like, I can quit as soon as breakfast happens. And then after breakfast, I said, I'm just making it to lunch. And I made it through all 10, I think it was 10 weeks, all 10 weeks that way. And, And at the end, I was like, now I look back on basic and I think I did even there and it was so fun. Yeah. But when you're going through it, it's not so fun. Yeah. Your world is upside down. It's awful. You don't sleep. You're dirty. You're getting yelled at. You're kind of being made to feel like you can't do anything right. And then it's freezing. It was just, just a mess. Like it was just a mess. If I think about the little itty bitty individual parts, I'm like, it's odd that I actually look back on it with any kind of pleasant memories. Cause man, individually, it's like, there was nothing good about this entire yeah. experience, but, I be- but it was fun. And I bet if you look back now, those things that you've learned during that time helped build to who you are and the character of who you are today, I would say. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah. I still, I mean, I tell my kids, I tell everybody, like, just make it to the next meal. Yeah. I like truly live by that. Like it, it resonates just make you. it to the next meal. And I really do carry that same philosophy through everything I do. Like, okay, just, just got to get to that next meal. And then if you never want to do it again, you don't have to, but we all know that once you do the next step, that it's just easy, right? A lot easier. So I do take some of a lot of that discipline in every area of my life. Were you active or reserve when you went in? I went in active duty. Okay. So, so how long did you serve? Did you do four years? I was seven years. So I was first stationed in Alaska. And then after Alaska, I went to Fort Hood, Texas. I got out after I went to Fort Hood. I decided somewhere in my first contract when I was in Alaska that I I knew I didn't want to be in the military. I was not going to be a lifer or a career. And I knew I wanted to remember, I knew I wanted to go to college and I was fairly certain I wanted to be a lawyer. So somewhere after, in my first contract, I had my daughter and I decided, well, if I can re-enlist and get my college degree, my bachelor's degree in the army, then I can use my Montgomery GI Bill to pay for law school. And that was kind of my thought process through my entire experience. And that's the only reason that I re-enlisted because I was not into getting told what to do at all. I realized really early in my military career that I was not the one that was going to be like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. We should do it that way. I was the one that was like, well, you know, there's a better way to do this, but you can't do that when you're, you know, a private in the army. Yeah. Well, that's pretty smart. I mean, for you to be that young and to figure that, that part out where, you know, today all these kids are going into major debt to get in school. So comm specialist and paralegal, is that what your MOs were when you were there? I was communication specialist. Think internet, right? Getting internet to everybody that needs it, whether that's digging the trenches and running it. We handled all of the communication in the units that we were in. And I was sent to Alaska to be part of one of the striker brigades when the army first started doing this idea of the striker brigade. I don't even know if they do anymore, but that's where I was. I didn't care for it. I chose it because I didn't want to have a crappy job. And they told me that you had to be smart to do it. And I had those scores on my ASVAB. So I thought, well, whatever. Again, somewhere in the middle of thinking, well, I want to become, a, you know, I'm ready. Like I'm, I'm getting serious about my life. I switched over to be a paralegal 
in the military. I didn't do that for very long. Uh, I, I did that when I got out after my seven years and I was doing it through the reserves. And I, I shouldn't say this, but like I hated the reserves. Mm. So I, I was not a paralegal in the military very long. So you didn't, you didn't like it in the military, but after that, you went to law school right after that? Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I should, let me clarify. I loved my military experience. Yeah. Like I loved it. I, I, I think it was so amazing. It taught me a lot. I just was not a good soldier, right? Yeah. I wanted something different from my life. And so that's why I got out. There's got to um, be a difference, and I'm sure we'll get into it. And there's got to be a difference between what you were doing paralegal-wise in the military versus your being in law right now. Yeah, I mean, totally. Well, yeah. like apples to oranges yeah. almost. Um, so when I got out, I went to law school and it kind of played out exactly as I anticipated. Yeah. The law, my law school was covered by the GI Bill and my yellow ribbon program. And I came out with still student debt, but significantly less yeah. than most attorneys end up with. And and it was great. I, tr- I truly think that it was the military also that got me to where I am today. If I hadn't gone into the military, my life would look yeah. substantially different and probably not nearly as good. Yeah. You needed, you needed that, that discipline and that, that drive that they, that they gave you to get to where you're going. And the growing up, you know, yeah. like you grow up real fast yeah. when you go through basic training and you're on your own. You're all, you're truly like an adult. So all in all, after, after active and reserve, how long did you spend? Was it seven years total with the reserves or more after it sounds like? <laughs> I like really was not in the reserves for very long. So okay. I got out and my husband was deployed. Yeah, I moved to California. I got out and moved to California as he was deploying. So we kind of timed that. And he deployed to Iraq in May. I moved back here in May. He got his R&R, which is like a vacation, you know, yeah. your time to come back in February. And my unit that I was with in the reserves also had drill. So he got one weekend home and they said I they wouldn't give me an excuse, like they wouldn't not let me come to drill. And I kind of got into it with my chain of command. And I, again, not the greatest soldier said, I'm not coming this yeah. weekend. Like my <laughs> husband is de- coming home. Yeah. I haven't seen him in... 10 months, like, I just don't care what you say, I'm not going to come. And they, you know, threatened all sorts of, now that I'm older, right, I realize it was nonsense, but they threatened all sorts of things. And so I went to, I went very high up, I went to the brigade commander, and I basically said, I don't think I'm a good fit. Yeah, I think you should let me out of the reserves. I will always put my family first, and that's not fair to the unit. So why don't you get let me out of this contract and you'll be able to fill my space with somebody Very smart. that is completely dedicated. Smart. Now, I'm not advocating that. Yeah. I don't think that that works most times. In this case, it did. They let me out. So they let me out like the next month. Um, so I was not in the reserves for very was long. Was your husband in the Army too? Yes. So you would yes. think that they would understand, right? I mean, honestly, <laughs> like I was truly floored that's all the only reason that i took high as i did i was like are you kidding me the army is deploying for 12 months at a time like i haven't seen it you're not sitting there telling them that you got an air force husband who's coming in or something like that you're in the same branch come on man it was was silly but all right right. anyway it's fine (laughs) so talk to me about law school how how was that did you take to that very easily or 
so when I applied for law school, I was scared that I wasn't going to get in, but I also didn't want to move around because we just kind of settled in California. So I picked a circumference and I applied to all of the law schools that were like driving distance from me, which I had 10. So actually I had quite a few and I figured there was the rule of 10. I don't know if this is true, but the rule of 10, I thought, well, if I apply to all 10, I'm bound to get into one. So I ended up getting into more than one, but I went down to Thomas Jefferson School of Law, which is in San Diego. I explained to them that I basically, like I was married. I had two children at that point. I was not interested in doing, I wasn't going to be the traditional law student, right? right? Which is maybe not anymore, but at the, I felt like it was like college, you know, high school, college, law school. And so they kind of raised all of the issues that I had and they were really nice and they gave me an apartment for free down in San Diego so that I wouldn't have to do the commute, but I could still bring my son who was 10 weeks at the time down with me uh, during the week. So I did that. It was really challenging. It was hard, you know, I guess just because my husband and I had already been apart for so long because of his deployment and then I was down there and we had another new baby. Um, all in all, though, I was very successful in law school, and I credit that to my dad, who I think it was the first semester I was a bit overwhelmed with the the amount of information you have to like retain and regurgitate in some kind of format is like kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And he sat me down when I was studying for my first midterms or finals, and he said he like showed me the big picture of the law and how it all works together. And he presented it as a story, like from a case. And it was the first time that I was able to understand the concepts of law and understanding the concepts of law made it easier for me to retain these, well, stupid, but these itty bitty little pieces of material. And I carried that all the way through my law school. I was really good at conceptualizing how these laws all fit together and how they worked in the bigger picture of legal representation. And I think that hands down made law school successful for me. I actually also think having children and a husband made me compartmentalize really well. And so I was able to decompress when I had to come home or when I came home, all I wanted to do was like spend time with my six-year-old and my baby and like bake cakes or make marshmallows. (laughs) So we did And that allowed me to not stress for that brief period of time on law school. Uh, So I got really good at compartmentalizing. And again, I think that still helps me today in the law. But I I enjoyed law school really hard, really hard. If you don't want to be a lawyer or you're on the fence about it, don't go. It reminds me, when I went to college, I wanted to be going to criminal justice. I wanted to be a cop. I knew it was going to take me a little while to to get on somewhere, I figured, and I'm like, hey, why not be a teacher in the interim? So my first education class that I took, the professor walked in day one and said, I'm going to teach this class, and when you're done, you're not going to want to be a teacher. And sure as hell, he was right. I mean, I took that one <laughs> class, I'm like, man, there goes those credits, because I don't want to do this anymore. It's not for everybody, and you have to be a special breed to, you know, to be able to do it, certainly. You know, I mean, I, I definitely, I know I'm not smart enough to be a lawyer, by all means, but... So you don't have to be smart to be a lawyer. You just have to understand, I think, a certain, you have to think a certain way. But they do teach you how to think, right? They they teach you in law school to think a certain way, which is interesting. But I had a girl who I went to, who I started law school with, 
And she told us, she was kind of part of the little group that we'd formed. She said she was only there because she didn't know what else to do. And her parents like basically told her to go. And so she failed all of her classes. She wasn't that interested. She didn't carry on with it. And I'm thinking after the first year, and I'm thinking, what? Not even what a waste of a year, right? Because you learn something from every experience. But what an awful year. Like, who wants to go through the first year of law school, which is so stressful and so hard and so demanding? And then, like, the debt or the expense and then not even be able to do anything with it? Like, uh. Yeah. Yeah. There's other things she could have done for a year, right? Right, go travel to Europe or something. <laughs> um, so tell me about the bar, okay? We how long? First of all, how long did it take? When how long did it take you to complete law school? Uh, I did it full time. It was three years. Okay, so three years were done, and now is it bar time? Is that how it goes? Yes. So most people take the bar right after they become a lawyer. There are people that go to law school and have no intention of ever practicing law. You only have to take the bar and pass the bar if you want to practice law. If you wanted to be like a CEO or something, you wouldn't have to. So the bar exam is twice a year in February and in July. So we graduated in May. You sign up to take the July bar and it's the same weekend across the United States. So I planned on taking the California bar. The California bar at the time was three full days and the pass rate was very low. I think they've made some, I know they've certainly made changes. I think it's only two days now uh, and they've tried to make changes to make it the pass rate a little bit higher. But at the time it was very difficult. I needed to pass the bar because I didn't have any money and I was not working. And my only option was really to pass the bar so that I could, be a lawyer. So I felt an immense amount of pressure to pass. I started studying. So I found the best class, bar prep class that I could. Again, very fortunate the VA paid for it. I started studying for the bar in March of 2014. And I sat for it, I think, July 27th of 2014. I studied so much I don't even remember parts of my life. Like wow. I, that five month period, I think it is. I don't remember. I didn't, my, my youngest child, my last child had her first birthday. So everybody understands how stressful this is. She turned one on June 9th. That's her birthday. Oh. And I was right in the thick of yeah. bar prep. I had the whole day. Like I talked to my mom. I talked to all these people just like I normally do. And I get a call from my mom at 2 p.m. on June 9th. And she says, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, so sorry for what? And she's like, I talked to you today and I didn't even say happy birthday to Abby. And I almost dropped the phone because I was like, oh my God, it's her first birthday. (laughs) I had totally forgotten about it. I felt like the worst mother at the time. Fortunately, she can't remember that. But um but I was totally in the zone. I mean, I truly don't remember those five months. I sat for the bar. I, you know, the biggest question everybody asks is, did you, how do you think you did? And I truly had no idea how I did. I thought it could be, you know, shoot. You don't find out your results for the bar until November. So you're waiting. Does it take that long? Yeah. November. And I remember thinking, 
Oh God. And then you hear all these horror stories, right? About like, you know, bar pass rate and how the examiners only spend two minutes reading your essays and all these things. And I just thought every day, I really hope the person that's grading my exams has a nice glass of wine in their hand, is totally relaxed and just read the shittiest bar paper <laughs> they've ever ex- read in their life, right? <laughs> so that when they look at mine, they're like, this is amazing. Yeah. I signed up for a new bar prep class right before we got results because I panicked and I thought I for sure didn't pass. And we went out to dinner the night that bar results came out. I didn't want to check them. I was so afraid. But of course, my whole family, my husband were like, check, check, check. We need to know. So I, I did. And I am so happy I passed. So many people that I knew and that I was sure were going to pass did not, but I passed on my first try. Oh my so. gosh. Oh, thank goodness. That was going to be my next question. So you said July. and when, Remind me, when was the next one? You take – so July is the first. Yeah. It's offered in July and February. So if you don't pass in July, you, you got to go February. in February. All right. Yeah. So then there is time then, or a small amount of time, if, right, you're saying results come out in November. So you better start going down that route, like you said, and sign up for another bar right. prep class just in case. In California, too, they'll give you your – you don't get your test back unless you fail it. If you fail, they will give you your test back so that you can kind of see feedback. I I don't know how that feels, but I can tell you I was so incredibly happy when I passed the bar. I just thought it was like this big, huge weight that – Oh God, I never have to do it again. And then I, you know, I took the Arizona bar. Well, so there we I don't go. know what I was thinking about that either. Yeah. So you know my next question is you're not you only passed it in one state. You did it in Arizona. Is that it? Or is there more? So I'm actually licensed right now in California, Arizona, Kentucky, and Texas. I so I wanted to pass another or I wanted to be admitted to another state because California doesn't have, have reciprocity with anybody else. So that means if you pass the California bar, you can't go and practice anywhere else. And many people have heard of the California exodus, right? <laughs> so I, not that I have any plans to leave California. I came back voluntarily after I, you know, left for the army, but I didn't, I was, I felt a little claustrophobic, like, oh gosh, I'm never, I'm going to be stuck here if I don't get this bar out of the way. My dad was, is licensed in Nevada and he never took another bar. And so I just always heard growing up, like he wanted to move and he felt like he couldn't because he was so far into his career. So in 2016, I chose the Arizona bar because it was close to me. They... I had clients that had issues already in Arizona that I would have been able to help with. And they have reciprocity with like a huge amount of states. So I was like, well, great. Uh, The difference of the Arizona bar though is for the California bar, I had five months and my only job was to pass the bar. When I started studying for Arizona, I owned a law firm and I did not have the time. And I got a hotel room 10 days before the bar in Phoenix, because the bar is in Phoenix. And I went out and I tried to study. And the Arizona bar was two days. And I remember after the first day thinking, oh God, they, I'm going to, like, they should fail me. Like, I should not pass this, but whatever. And then the next day, day two of the bar, I, I had a, a here, a trial the Wednesday or the, the following day. I think the bar was Tuesday, Wednesday, and I had, a trial in California on Thursday morning at 8 30. 
And all I thought was, I need to get out of this bar exam really, really quick so I can start my drive back home so that I can get some kind of sleep. So I rushed so much. Like I, I just rushed the entire exam and I walked out and I called my husband and I was like, so I'm pretty sure I failed. And he said, why? I said, because if they passed me, like I didn't pay attention to the bar. I just wanted to get home. Anyway, so guys, they passed me. So you have attorneys like that practicing <laughs> law in Arizona. But anyway, I did. I think I did a good job, obviously. Obviously, yeah. Got licensed in Arizona also on the first try. Uh, and then Texas and Kentucky, I used my Arizona bar license to get into those two jurisdictions. So I, I don't plan on ever taking another bar exam. Oh, I don't you're, like that. You're two for two, so... I mean, that, the odds are so in your like favor. Odds, right? Like, don't screw it up. <laughs> that's awesome. So how long that you said, obviously, that you started your own firm? How long were you practicing before that? Or how did it come about that we went right into your own firm? I was, my dad owned his own law firm the entire time that I really grew up. He was working or he had a law firm of some sort. And then my stepdad also owned his own business. He's a computer programmer and engineer. So I was raised with owning your own business and kind of everything that encompasses. I didn't really understand, nor did I like it from the army of being tied to somebody else's checkbook. Yeah. I mean, or um, time, time, I guess time is better. So, and then my dad had kind of put into my head that there was this good way to practice law and this not good way to practice law. And he really emphasized that my entire upbringing and then reiterated it when I became an attorney. And then I had kids and I was married. So when I was trying to figure out what I wanted my job to be, I really weighed very heavily the idea of going and getting a job at a law firm, definitely getting paid more than I would have anywhere else, but that I would be tied to that law firm. I would be missing my kids, everything and commuting again. And so I didn't want to do that. So I opened my own firm. I passed the bar. Well, I got my results in November. I got sworn in December 8th because then I wouldn't have had to pay so much bar dues for the year. And then I opened my law firm the next day so that I could be with my kids uh, be with my husband and practice law the way I wanted to practice, which is what my dad taught me. And I relied very heavily on him and my cousin to <laughs> learn how to practice law. Cause you, you learn what you need to in law school and then you practice for the bar exam, right? That's a totally different thing. Yeah. And then you're expected to just be a lawyer and advise clients on situations that are going to affect their whole life, which is a whole nother, you know, yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what kind of lawyer are you? Are you family law? Do you do a little bit of everything? I am a strategic litigator. Okay. I do. That's, you know, another way to say trial trial attorney. Uh, I do very, very strategic litigation for my clients in the areas of family law, probate and trust law, and real estate law. Those are the areas that I've, I've, enjoy the most. I've practiced them for a while. I recent I used to do everything in those areas. I love being in court. Being in court is so fun for me. The planning of a case, figuring out how to present it, figuring out the different arguments that can be made and how we're going to put this puzzle together to show my client's side to try and convince a judge or a jury that we're right. I, I love everything about that. 
And I think it's so fun to be in the courtroom presenting it. So I transitioned actually, and now pretty much only do litigation cases that are in court that are likely to end up uh, going to trial. Of course, 95%, I think is the most recent statistic of cases settle. But, you know, it's it's fun to be along the ride with my clients and yeah. really help them get what they want. So that's the kind of lawyer I am. And those are the areas that I practice. Very cool. So in your field, like I said, I, I kind of give you a little bit of a glimpse. I don't know much. Everything I know about lawyers, I learned from uh, TV myself. So also better call Saul. <laughs> that's right. We're not all like that, I swear. <laughs> Defense attorneys. Defense attorneys. Yeah. Do they get do they get a bad rap? Or what are, what are your thoughts on them? Well, I think all attorneys get a bad yeah. reputation, right? You either hate your attorney because you didn't think they did a good job for you, or you hate the other person's attorney because they did a better job, you know, because they won. Um so I think just in general, attorneys have a bad rep. I don't think that public or um, defense attorneys get any worse of a reputation than any other ones. I think the issue arises from television, that television gives this grand idea of lawsuits. You know, every time I hate watching them, but my husband watches them. Every time you see a criminal on TV, it's like a 45 minute show. The crime is committed. The defendant is found. He somehow gets they get him to confess and they're in trial and it's all wrapped up. They make it seem like it happens the next day. And then you have these grand, huge law firms where the client that, you know, works at a convenience store can afford this attorney that has marble everywhere. That doesn't happen. So, so I think that's what sets attorneys up is this really inaccurate depiction of what law is and how the judicial system works. That's one of the things that I find I have to overcome quite often with clients. And it's something that I try and be very transparent on. If you were filing a lawsuit, we're in this together for yeah. like three years. And that's something that needs to be considered because they come in, oh, I'm going to sue and I'm going to get it all handled tomorrow. No, you're not. Like that, It's just not how it works. Because that's how it is. I think lawyers get the fall for it a yeah. lot because we're like the the messenger, right? It's a long, it's a long haul. It certainly seems like it's a long haul. It could be. Oh, yeah. And defense attorneys, I suppose, get a bad rep because they're defending criminals yeah. in theory, right? right? That's what we all, we all, the judicial, the court system says you're innocent until proven guilty, but we as people judge nope. right away. Yeah, absolutely. Right? At the gate. So we all look at them and think, oh my gosh, they've done it. They're yeah. guilty. Um, I don't know that I would be a, a very good defense attorney just because I, I too think that most people are guilty, but I, I definitely appreciate that it's absolutely necessary and knock on wood, if I was arrested, I'd want the best attorney, a defense attorney that was there of because course. if I did it, I don't want the state to just be able to hem me up. Yeah, of course. Of course. All right. So fun question. You got to give yeah. me a lawyer, Drew. And he comes right, to mind. So I do no? not. I don't, but let me tell you what happened. Okay. So I was thinking and thinking, I've been thinking about lawyer jokes and I kind of said it out loud to myself and my littlest daughter comes up to me and she's like, I have the best lawyer joke, mom. I was like, how in the world do you have a lawyer joke? And she's like, I have a joke book. So I'm going to give her credit for this lawyer joke because she told it. All right. 
What did the lawyer name his daughter? What did the lawyer name his daughter? I don't know. What do you name her? Sue. Ooh, I like that one. I, like that one. <laughs> I think that's great. Your daughter did a great job there. She did an it's awesome clever, job. It's clever, dad yeah. jokey, and it's I appropriate. It. I love it. I love it. Now, speaking of, uh, of dads, like I said, I'm, I'm a girl dad. I got two beautiful daughters. I was looking at your website. I see a, lo- a, a strong female presence. So kind of two questions for you. Do you feel that you're sized up by male lawyers? Is there any sexism, do you think, when you walk in, into the courtroom? And then being the first question. And then second of all, is your firm, do you guys have a strong female presence in your law firm? We do have a strong female presence. I actually only have women in my law firm now, not by choice. It's not that I've intended to do that, but I work really well with other women and I really like to help people become the best version of themselves they can. And because, and I, I hire people that don't necessarily have legal experience, but that are interested in it or that want to promote through. I have a a promotion system through my office so people can build it up. And that has attracted women. And so I I do. And I love everybody that works at my office. I have the most amazing hands down trial team that exists. And I don't care what any other lawyer person says, yours is not as good as mine. My (laughs) team is absolutely phenomenal. I love it. Um, So I I definitely get judged, though, for being a woman. I also have blonde hair, and I'm from California. And everything that that comes with, I get judged for. When I first became a lawyer, my dad said to me, just because you're a lawyer doesn't mean you have to dress like a man, which seems so silly to say. But I really have embraced that. And I thought, well, I don't need to, I can be very feminine Mm -hmm. and still be a lawyer. I can, I really like to dress nice, like dress fun. So I can dress trendy and still be a really fantastic attorney. But because sometimes I show up in court in, you know, a fully satin suit with high heels and my hair down or whatever, I, I definitely get sized up. Sometimes it's quite obvious, you know, like the eyes. Um, and sometimes it's more of a condescending, you know, talk down to, uh, position. I don't play into it. I don't think it's necessary. I will be fair and say, it's not always men that do it. I get it from other female attorneys as well. To me, I'm going to do my job. I'm really good at my job. And you can say whatever you want to me. The bottom line is we're both going to go into court and we're going to have the decision maker make the decision based on how we present the information. I think I'm very successful at my presentation style and I don't ever think in any area, no matter what industry you are, you get ahead by being condescending or making the your competition seem weak or low if you're trying to win that way you're going to lose maybe not this case but one case and so i really don't i try not to practice that doesn't mean it's not hard sometimes you know but you know i know i look good and i know i am ready to go to court so is there anything better and you're coming in there with your a-list trial team and kicking their ass that's all exactly and (laughs) 
and that's wonderful. I love it. And, and I think that everybody should do that. But, uh, but anybody that's been successful has haters, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. It's a cruel, cruel world that we live in, in for sure. But as a girl dad, you know, I'm so happy for you. I mean, you're very successful at what you do. You're setting a precedent for girls to come, for females to come. You know what I mean? You're, you're a boss, babe. You know, you came in here and you started your own your own business, your own law firm from day one, right? So, again, thank you so much for hopping on the show. But before we go, we've got listeners all across the country. Obviously, you're all across the country. Let them know where they can find you. I am on all of the socials at The Lawyer King. So you can reach out on TikTok or Snapchat or LinkedIn or wherever, whatever you're place is and you will find me. You can call or text. Actually, text messages come directly to my cell phone. That phone number is 951-834-7715. And to your daughters, man, they are going to do whatever they want. And I don't think any woman or any person for that matter should ever let what other people think of you get in the way of what you're going to do. Like, it really doesn't matter what other people think of you. It's what how you think of you, and yeah. you just keep going and going until you make it to the place that you want to be for yourself. So Absolutely. I think your girls are going to rock. And everything that's going on in the world, I still think they have so many opportunities. Absolutely. And they just need to take them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for taking the time and hopping out on our show. And we'll promote you too. We'll uh, put your socials on our socials. And when this gets released, we'll definitely tag you in it. So thank you so Wonderful. much. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. This is Yelp. This is Yelp. This is Yelp. It's Yelp Help. Yelp Help. We're back. I love man. that sound. It's a great intro. This is Yelp. I love it. And I love uh I love Yelp Help. Very uh entertaining for us as well as oh, our yeah. listeners too, because oh, we don't yeah. know each other's Yelp help that we're going to be presenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but go ahead, man. I want you to present first this okay. time. What you got for Yelp help? Was well, one of the things that I've found in my search of Yelps is um, the reviews are always funny, but sometimes it's even funnier the responses from like yeah, other it, people it, or the owners of the company and stuff yeah. like that. So I found a good one. And this person put on their review as a one-star review. Okay. Okay. Uh, ordered a waffle to find a fingernail and a hair on my food. Oh, yeah. Absolutely shocking customer service. As I was told, I would have to wait another hour to get a fresh one. I asked for a refund but never received one. Wouldn't send my worst enemy there. That's tough, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, if I read that review, I probably wouldn't go to this place. Right. Response from the owner. Uh, our restaurant is not open yet, so this is impossible. <laughs> we opened May 12th, just in case anyone thinks this is remotely true. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You think there was some like you know, somebody just dogging him so that they didn't get the business? Maybe like another yeah, business right, like town? An- yeah, right. Like another, or somebody just trying to get like a, a free coupon or something like that. Oh, like they just Googled yeah. a restaurant and just like, oh, I'm just going to leave them a bad review. Yeah. Everybody wants a handout, man. They weren't open. Wants a handout. They weren't open. <laughs> they weren't open yet. Everybody, <laughs> everybody wants a handout. See what I did there? Nice. I like that. Yeah. All right, yes. man. I got yes. one for you. Go for it. It's uh, 
It's a, it's actually a pizza place, and it's called Sexy Pizza. Ooh, I love pizza. In Denver, I love Colorado. Sexy pizza. <laughs> Denver, Colorado. Have you ever woke up, uh, you know, after a, a night on the town, and you know, you check your bank account, and you're like, oh, ooh, wow, that was that a hurts. rough one. <laughs> oh, this gentleman did that too. So he he actually stated that Sexy Pizza overcharged him because he was drunk. Mm-mm. Yep, he said that's some very non-sexy behavior. <laughs> Unless Denver has the motherfucking of all sales tax, they clearly ripped me off. The pizza was decent, not sexy. Oh. You think he chose that? He probably chose that on purpose. He's like, let me get some sexy pizza. Yeah, right? They probably get a lot for their name, I would think, just by calling them sexy sexy pizza. pizza? I don't know. I don't know if I'd eat a place called sexy pizza. I wouldn't take my kids to sexy pizza. I got to say, I was in New York last week. Yeah, you got real pizza. And I ate a lot of pizza. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? So good. You got a favorite place in in New York? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. What's that? Yep. So there's just two. There's Austin Pizza, which is where I'm from, uh, which is awesome pizza, and it's so great because. And I hope they're not listening. I hope they're not fans of the show because I hope they're not listening right now. I hope they are fans of the show, but not listening right this second. It's so New York. They are assholes when you go in. Yeah. It's like they don't even want you to be there. Yeah. But their pizza is so good that it doesn't <laughs> even matter. Like They're like, what do you want? Who's next? Ah! That's right. They're always yelling at you. It's great. And they're all just Part of the Italian experience, guys. man. I think, you, it, you know. Yeah, right. You got to get yelled at a little bit. you go in there, right? Yeah. And then there's a place called Capriccio's, which is like all like the specialty slices and stuff. I mean, right. all, a lot of places in New York do. Austin does too. But like their specialty pizzas are like... Yeah, like chicken parm pizza, get me hungry. salad pizza, and margarita pizza. Fantastic! Oh god, I hate so much. I don't, food. I don't know that Osnick Pizza would be now an official sponsor of Good Vibes Nation. <laughs> Probably not. You just no, them, it's but. it's honestly it's part of like the 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 ambiance of the yeah. place. You know, like everybody knows it. You know, yeah. I'm sure the people behind the counter do. Yeah. Like, but you go in there and it's busy, and they're just screaming, "Who's next?" Oh, like, Jesus, it's like the soup to... Nazi kind of. That's right. Yeah, Take it's it funny, them, but the pizza's good. Pizza's good. All right, folks. Sorry, had to go on a pizza tangent. It's all good, baby. That's Yelp Help. Till next time.